What do we do when we are scared? We say the words. Adonai's words. From the prophet. Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, right? Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. How long has she been like this? Like what? I'm trying to help her, Rivka. All you're gonna do is mess this place up. Then what? You're gonna stop by and help clean? The demons that torment her soul will turn your place to dust. Even if you care nothing for her soul, at least... Lilith never hurt anyone that didn't hurt her first. Mostly. She has these spells. We let her be and then she's as sweet as an angel again. Pass it all, Lil! You can put an end to this. I adjure you by the holy angels, Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, Uriel, and Raziel. I adjure you, cursed dragon, diabolical legions. Come out! I adjure you, spawn of Beelzebub, abandon and Sheol, by the utterance of all the watchers and the holy ones. In the name of Adonai, God of the heavens, cease to deceive this human creature. I command you, in covenant with Abraham, in the names of Jacob, Isaac, Moses, the all-powerful El Shaddai. From this innocent soul,
So did it work? I'm sorry, Lilith. Elias? What? We should talk, huh? Leave me alone. Oh, what, huh? He's going to scratch me too. Oh, come on. Not now. So see. Not now. She smells anyway. I don't know what else I can do to help you. Give me that. Lots of it. That's not going to solve your problems. It's meant to distract from no them. No more preaching. Just give it to me. Lilith, please listen to what I'm says the Lord who created you and he who formed you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You you. It's real. Lilith. No, no, please, don't be frightened. My name is Nicodemus. I'm, I ministered to you, Lilith. I don't answer to that name. I am Mary. I was born Mary. But you were called Lilith, yes? Please, I must go. No, no, please, Mary. I, I am desperate for your help, Mary. I'm a, I'm a Pharisee. I'm visiting from Jerusalem. I'm a man of God. And I believe you have experienced a miracle, Mary. 
Are you really a Pharisee? Yes. I'm sorry, I wasn't... I'm not here to enforce Jewish law. So how do you know who I am? You really don't remember me at all. I burned incense. I don't remember. It's all a blur. I can't go back into that. No, no, I don't want you to. I can't even imagine. But you you are healed. That that much is clear. I just want to understand how it happened. It makes two of us. <laughs> How long after my visit did you feel the change? It wasn't anything you did. It was someone else. Someone else? He called me Mary. He said, I am his. I am redeemed. It was so. Who did this? I don't know his name. And even if I did, I could not tell you. Why not? His time for men to know has not yet come. His time for men? <laughs> he performs miracles and seeks no credit? Well, what does he look like? Is he a member of Sanhedrin? Would you at least know him if you saw him again? <laughs> I don't know why I am sharing this with you. I... I don't understand it myself. But here is what I can tell you. I was one way. And now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. So yes, I will know him for the rest of my life. <laughs> Stand with me if you will, and we're going to read from Luke chapter 11. I'll try to project here, so because my microphone's not working. <coughs> so if you, if you can, if you can, stand with me if you will. Luke chapter 11, we're going to be in verse 14 through 26 here this morning. It says this, Now he was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon came out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, He drives out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And others, as a test, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Knowing their thoughts, he told them, Every kingdom, is divide, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I drive out demons by Beelzebub. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his estate, his possessions are secure or at peace. But 
when one stronger than he attacks and overpowers him, he takes from him all his weapons he trusted in and divides up his plunder. Anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest. And not finding any rest, it then says, I'll go back to the house I just came from. And returning, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. Jesus, we pray you would open up your word to us here this morning. God, that you would speak through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that your spirit would fall upon us right here, right now in this place. That you would open up our spirits, Lord, to encounter the living God. We want you, Lord. We want to hear from you. We want to be changed by you. Speak to us here this morning. We welcome you to, to, to speak, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so I've titled this morning, Replacing Evil with Good. As we, as we see the, the, the context of this entire passage, um, all the way from, from where, you know, where we came before. So the Lord's Prayer, and like we talked about last week, the praying the heart of the Father. Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. But it wasn't just a prayer of, of comfort and, to, and of peace and everything. It was a prayer for power. His disciples watched Jesus pray to the Father and then go and walk in and do great works of great power. And they're like, teach us also to kick, this, you know, kick the devil's butt. Teach us to advance this kingdom. Teach us to pray to the Father. To know the Father's heart. To know how to live our lives in the power and the strength that you walk, that you do, that you live, that you preach, that you work. Teach us also to pray like that so that we can do the same things that you do. Because when we, when we look at the whole context of this whole verse, it's that Jesus replaces evil with good to restore to life as it should. That's the whole purpose of, of what Jesus does. It's all these passages of, of Scripture. We see time after time after time that, that Jesus heals people or delivers people from demons. But he doesn't just stop there. That's one of the things I love, I love, I love about this, this series called The Chosen. That's the, the, what you just saw here was a, was a clip, was several clips from The Chosen that's out. It's free. <laughs> you can go watch it on YouTube. You can go watch it on, you know, you can download the app and watch it on your tablet or iPhone uh, or, or, or sell your phone. Um, you can also buy the DVDs and they'll ship, they'll ship you the DVDs. It's the, it's the world's most viewed and, and like farthest reaching biggest, longest series of Jesus crowdfunded. It's 100% crowdfunded by people just like you. You get like 20 bucks a year, 100 bucks there, several thousands of dollars there. It's completely funded by people who watch it and not by corporations and things like that. It's an, it's an amazing series. But the thing I love about watching it is that is Jesus' heart for why he does what he does. 
is that he desires not just to cast out the evil as though evil was the end result. Casting out the evil and, and leaving it there was the end result. He casts it out. He, he cleans it out to fill it with good, to replace with his presence. Oftentimes he, he heals someone and says, follow me. I got the junk out of your life. Now let me pour into your life. And so we're going to look at three, three things here this morning. The first thing I want to look at is Jesus rebukes their false narrative against the challenge to his very identity as the Messiah. So we're going to break down this passage as we read it here. So number one, he, re- he rejects this. You know, we, we live in this world of false narratives. It's packed full of them. And they're, and they're, and they're forwarded by everyone. They're forwarded by the mass media, of course, like we talked about, all, you know, rag on, the, rag on the news stations, right? We also rag on, you know, on, uh, on just the culture in general, you know, going along with these certain narratives. But we also see on the other side, you know, these, you know, these false narratives that are, that are trying to pull it the other direction, you know, that are trying to put something in place where maybe there's not nefarious purposes. Maybe we, we put too much into the conspiracy theories, um, there, you know, Jesus' mission was to overthrow these things. You know, look at, look at Jesus' mission. God, you know, Jesus' very reason for existing was being challenged, was being second-guessed, was having a false narrative uh, put on top of it. He was, he was having a conspiracy theory placed on top of it. His chief purpose and vision for this world, of coming to this world, is that he is God's chief agent in the decisive overthrow of evil and the evil one. He even explains it in this passage. Talking about the strong man. He came to bind the strong man by being a stronger man. Jesus' Jesus's mission and vision was to be the Messiah whom the Father himself sent to earth to deliver his people from sin and death. The power of the enemy and... Not just to deliver them from that, but to pull them out, to deliver them, to rescue them and give them the power of God. Give them his holy authority to advance the kingdom of God that he came to bring. Now, it might be a little confusing. Anytime I ever say the kingdom, I simply mean the church. The big C church across the world, across time, those who are, who are and will be one day in the presence of God for all eternity. That is the kingdom of God. He has chosen to save a people. And that is his kingdom. His presence. Wherever God's presence is on this earth, that is where his kingdom is. Advancing that kingdom. So these false narratives, these, these guys, whoever these guys are, they could be the Pharisees, we don't know. But basically these people there in the crowd were always looking for that, you know, that hidden truth. They, you know, the story behind the story. Mostly because for them, the truth was boring. I love how my, my friend David uh, Fairchild, pastor down in Texas, said this. He said, the prevalence of false conspiracies, conspiracy theories exists because it's easier to create an alternative reality than to face it. The Pharisees did not like Jesus because of many reasons. <laughs> he, he called them out. 
on their crap. <laughs> and he was not behaving the way that they believe that the Messiah should behave, the way that they believe that the Messiah should speak. They believe that the Messiah, the first place that the Messiah would go, would be to them, the Pharisees. And that he would affirm them, maybe even take on the leadership of the Pharisees as the Pharisee above Pharisees to rule the the religious rulers. And so there's two ways that you can, that, you know, that basically like we can all look at these, at these, you know, things like this, this, uh, this, this healing, this, this deliverance. The, the Pharisees, or the people here who are asking these things, the crowds, some, you know, whatever it said, some said, you know, he drives that demon by Beelzebul. You know, there's two ways that they could have approached this situation. One was he really is equipped with special powers from God, giving him the supernatural ability with extraordinary authority, and therefore we should get in line, submit to that authority, and receive it, follow him, shift our thinking, shift our trajectory in life. Or, what they did. Condemning that Jesus was somehow in league with, or in cahoots with the, the source of evil itself, you know, the power itself. Maybe he made it, struck a deal with the devil and sold his soul to the devil. And that's what they decided. Because they didn't like what he was saying and they didn't like the way that he was doing it things because according to them he wasn't the messiah they were looking for this is not the messiah you're looking for <laughs> however it's interesting like, to see like even this healing is kind of secondary to jesus's overall point here you know jesus is healing this man he knows what's coming he's like all right this is the illustration here you know this guy in, the, in his situation is really the only the backdrop um, that is used for luke in this passage to illustrate the larger truth that uh, you know, with Jesus' encounter with these folks. Now let's talk about this. What, what they accuse him of being. He says this word several times. Beelzebul. Beelzebul. Beel comes from Baal. If you notice in your, in your Old Testament, it says that word quite a bit. The worshiping the Baals. This is a Sumerian religion. So basically at the time of, of the Old Testament writing, there was another pagan religion on top of it in the, in the same area that the Canaanites believed. And so they worship Baal, or, or several Baals, which in translated just simply means Lord. So they worshiped a little L Lord, while the Israelites were, were worshiping a capital L Lord. And so Baal is, is specifically Satan. But there was a various variety of Baals that they were worshiping. There was, you know, Molech and, all, and, and the Ashtoreth and all these different gods that they would worship. Often, the, you know, often they looked exactly like the Egyptian deities that they, uh, you know, as Israel came out of Egypt, the, God, this, the gods looked very similar. Gods like Osiris and Isis and Hermes, all these, you know, Ra. The Baals had their similar gods. So did the Roman Empire. So did the Greeks. So did the Celts and the, and the Gaelics. There's a whole other story. And so did the Nordics. All, the, all these different cultures had very similar looking gods that they worshipped in very similar ways across the world. Except for God's people. So Baal, Zebub, Zebul, um, 
means Lord of the house or heights. Sometimes this has been attributed to Beelzebub from, from 2 Kings 1 that talks about Beelzebub, which is the Lord of the flies. Have you heard that book? Talking specifically, so this, this character, Beelzebul or Beelzebub, whichever way they would pronounce it, became known as the ruler of all the demons and attributed in Jewish culture to the source of evil himself, Satan, the devil. But also is there's, there's a couple different ways that we have of interpreting this that could be one of the fallen Elohim that was in, in league with Satan himself, one of the, the heavenly council that abandoned God along with Satan and, and, so, and became the ruler of the demons under the authority of Satan himself. So there's different ways to interpret this, this deity. Uh, but basically, Jewish attribution, they just attributed it to Satan. So it doesn't matter where in the rank. It doesn't really matter. It's evil. <laughs> He's, they're associating Jesus and his works to evil. And if you remember what Jesus said, the only unfor- unforgivable sin that Jesus talked about in the Jewish culture was to attribute the works of God to Satan. Blaspheming, as, it, as he says. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Attributing the works of the Holy Spirit, the miracles and the leading and the teaching, the deliverance and the power to deliver from Satan to, to Satan himself. They're committing blasphemy right now of Jesus. They're attributing his works to evil. Jesus has some very choice words to say about that. <laughs> Let's look at the second one. Jesus is the power of the exodus to bind and overpower the enemy and bring new life and restoration to his people. What does it say here that Jesus says? That, you know, he said, every kingdom that is divided against itself is headed for destruction. And a house divided against itself falls. If Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I drive out demon by Beelzebul. And if I drive out demon by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? Like we saw in the video with Nicodemus. He was trying to cast all these things, like, you know, stay all these fancy things. He had the the really fancy bells with the incense on the end and shaking it and making the noise. And, you know, so he was like trembling in his hand. He's like, I assure you by by Moses, by the angels. Like, he's like adjuring everything. But did you notice he wouldn't say the actual name of God? He never once said, by the power of Yahweh, get out. He had no voice of authority in that room. Uh, I hope, if you will, uh, by the power, power of the angels. And, uh, he was fearful. He, recogn- he understood that he had no power against Satan himself. He hoped he could. He had no confidence. He was adjuring by the names of men. Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon. He had no power. The only thing that has power in this world is the name of God. Yahweh, Jesus. That is the name by which men will be saved, by which men will, and women will be delivered That is the only power in this world. And this man, in this this illustration, in, in that video, Nicodemus couldn't adjure it. This man in this story was healed by the words, 
from Jesus himself, from Yahweh himself. That's why he didn't have to come in with all this fancy stuff and jingles and incense and all these different methods and ceremony. And he's like, yo, get out. He gave that demon the dad face. You know. And he got out. Because only Jesus has authority. Now, I use this word exodus. Because if you notice here, look at, the, at what Jesus says. And if I drive out, he's like asking him, you know, who, who do your, who do the son, your, your sons, who do the, the, you know, the guys like Nicodemus, who do your exorcists cast them out in? Yeah, that's right. You don't say his name, do you? That's right. You have no power. But he says, what, is that? what do he say? Um, if I can find it here. <laughs> For this reason, they, are, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by what? The finger of God. Now, why does he say that? Why does he say the finger of God? Well, if you flip back over, I should have put this on a slide. Flip back over to Exodus chapter 8, you'll see why. Hello. Keep skipping it. Six, uh, eight, 18. Sorry, 8. Chapter 8. If you look at verse uh, 19 there. Let's look at 18. The magicians tried to produce gnats. This is just the third plague. They tried to produce gnats using their occult practices, but they could not. The gnats remained on people and animals. Whereas the first two miracles, they, you know, that, the, the plagues that, that Moses was, was casting on Egypt, they were able to reproduce them. There is power in the unseen realm, in the demonic. The, the demonic and the enemy, they've got power. And they give that power to evil people who worship them. Because people worship little itty bitty gods that have power, but not nearly as much as our God. Amen. Because why? Here it says, number 12, I'm sorry, verse, verse 19. This is the finger of God, the magician said to, to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. The finger of God. Where else do we see the finger of God? Writing on the wall. That's where the phrase, the writing on the wall. You know, I, saw the, I saw the writing on the wall. Basically, the judgment had been cast against the Babylonian, Babylonian Empire, and that night, the Persian Empire was going to come in and take over Jerusalem. A finger of God appeared on the wall, and Daniel came in and interpreted, this is what it says. You have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have been found wanting. And you're done. Get ready to die. Hello. My name is Daniel. You, cur you curse my father. Prepare to die. Okay. I love Princess Bride. Anyway. <laughs> but we see that the finger of God is that which brings, is the power of the Exodus. And what is the Exodus? What was the purpose of the Exodus? To deliver God's people out of, A, slavery, but I would even say more, more importantly, above slavery, God himself was delivering his people from pagan worship. Because up until that point, Abraham, the, the promise of Abraham was, was, was with them, that God would be with them, that God would remember them, 
but they didn't have any ways of worship. They didn't have, all they had was circumcision. They had no laws or ways of living, ways of being. So they were inheriting a lot of thinking, ways of thinking. Like we talked about this word stinking thinking. They inherited a lot of stinking thinking into their, into their minds about how to worship. How to worship the gods. How to worship their god. By being taught how to worship Ra. How to worship, Afri- uh, how to worship uh, Osiris and Isis. Hermes. All these different pagan gods. That's all they knew how to worship. Which is why when they got over and Moses was like taking his sweet time up on the mountain. Like they built a bull. That was supposed to represent Baal. Hermes. I always get them confused with what the bull was supposed to be. <laughs> it represented one of the pagan gods from, from Egypt. And so the finger of God in this illustration is the illustration of the Exodus. That the finger of God came in and caused all this disruption in their culture, all this disruption in the kingdom of the enemy, by being, by Jesus coming in and being the strong man, kicking them out. The God of the Exodus is alive and well and still at work in Jesus' time and today. Jesus is bringing a new Exodus to God's people in this passage. Deliverance of God's people from oppression, slavery, and pagan culture. Jesus is, is, in, is in the work of binding the strong man. For them, back in, back in, in uh, Exodus, it was the, ten, the 12 plagues, right? Today, in, in this passage and today, it's the same demons that, are, that were at work in Egypt oppressing God's people. That is the same demons that we are fighting against today. The same gods and, 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 and spiritual oppression. But guess what? We got an atomic bomb. It's called the name of Jesus. Amen. We can drop it and boom. Gone. Done. Kingdom of God advancing. Pushing forward. Pushing back. And pressing into and beyond the gates of Hades. But Jesus even said, this is my church. This is my ecclesia. You know what an ecclesia is? Ecclesia is not just the gathering of, of God's people. Ecclesia, so let me, let me give a little, little bit of little back history here. Um, I, don't, I don't take it too much time. But um, <clears throat> a little back history on, on uh, the culture there. So whenever the Roman Empire would come into a new territory, they, their herald would come in and say, Repent, for the kingdom of Rome is at hand. And you either got in line, changed your mind about your your current circumstances, and you followed along, or you got plowed over. You got plowed over by the good news of Rome. What was Jesus' call? What did he herald? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand hand. This was a radical statement 
This, this alone would, could probably have gotten Jesus thrown in prison by the Romans. He's using the same verbiage, but saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Almost as though he was trying to cause an insurrection. And so when the Roman Empire would come in and they would give the good news, they would plow over, you know, people who accepted, they had the white flag, whatever, you know, they surrendered. They came in and they, they had an ecclesia, which was a band of people that came from Rome and established the government of Rome in that region. So this is like, you know, Pilate and, you know, Praetor and the, and, the, and the tribunes and the centurions and all these different military, you know, things all the way down. The governors and everything. It was, and the, basically to take over, you know, Herod and the, the govern, government in that area. But the ecclesia was establishing the government of the invading force. Jesus' message. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. And what did Jesus die and resurrect to bring? The ecclesia of God. We are the ecclesia of God. We are the governing authority of the kingdom of heaven on earth. That is who we are. That is your call. That is your power. And everywhere you put your foot, if you have the Holy Spirit, becomes territory for the kingdom of God. Every life that you touch becomes holy. Because one of God's saints, one of God's holy ones, walked there. You walked there. Not because of you, but because you brought the Holy Spirit. You brought the presence of God to your work. You brought the presence of God to your family. You brought the presence of God to that restaurant or that pub or that hot springs. You don't have to be afraid because wherever you go, you bring a new exodus because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And in this passage, we see that Jesus is coming in and he's binding the strong man. So every time someone is delivered from demonic oppression in the, in the Old Testament or today, it is a work of a new exodus, of deliverance of that person. Which leads us to number three. What does he do? Does he just leave it alone? Cast it out the demon? No. He replaces the power and presence of evil with the power and presence of God. He replaces it. He delivered Mary Magdalene. He didn't, and then he, he didn't just leave it there. He filled her with his Holy Spirit. Any, like as Jesus said, anyone who is not against me, I'm sorry, anyone who is not with me is against me. Now this is a diff, little bit different way of saying it from chapter 8. What does it say? Whoever is not against you is for you. But now Jesus is saying that there is no middle ground. Like basically, those who don't mean you harm, eh, they're not against you. Those who are meaning good, they're, they're not against you. <clears throat> and so he's, he's trying to get them to rec recognize where, what are the powers that are for and against the kingdom of God. Because when you think about it, the Pharisees, like he, said, like he pointed out here, they were doing exorcisms. 
They were performing these exorcisms. It was, it was widely accepted in the, in the Pharisaic circles of the day. In essence, the, the, the Pharisees, oftentimes we think, that, oh, these are like you know, the fundamental Baptists. No, these are more like the Charismatics <laughs> of today. Like they believed in the Holy Spirit. They believed in all the miracles. They believed in just like uh, in the supernatural. They believed in all this crazy stuff. And the flag waving and the, and the light twirling and all sorts of stuff. Imagine going to a charismatic church and like, you know, they're flaming, you know, you know, juggling fire and stuff. I haven't been to a charismatic service yet that that's crazy. That, 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 that crazy. <laughs> but these, so, and so they were more like the, the Jewish charismatics. And it was widely accepted practice of them. And often it, it would be successful. And the reason why they did it was because God would bless them. And use them to deliver people. God always wants to deliver people. They're, I mean, they weren't with him, but they weren't, weren't against him. So he would bless them to allow them to, to heal and deliver people. You know, like, like we saw in, in this thing, like they had all these like fancy ceremonies and rituals and you know, appealing to important figures from Israel's past uh, and the angels and everything because they believed in the miraculous. But it's interesting. Just Jesus... Does he do any of that? No. He just speaks to it. Get out. And she's delivered. It comes out without ceremony or appealing to another authority because Jesus himself is the greatest authority. Amber and I just uh, finished the Old Testament and in our, in our read, through the, read through, the, through the Bible. It's the first time I've ever done that. <laughs> Like reading all the way through the Old Testament um, in, in, a, in, a, in a sitting, I guess you'd say. It. You know, took us a little bit over, over a year so far because we're taking the very long, extended version, <laughs> extended timeline. Um, and we just started the New Testament. But it's amazing just to, to recap everything that we've learned from the history of, from the, from the creation of the world all the way up until the time of Jesus. And just to see that there's this pattern. Seeing the pattern of, they were, they were walking well. They were doing good stuff. And all of a sudden, they would start to abandon God. And what, what, what would they do? They started to raise up things like high places where they would worship pagan gods. They would start to worship the, the Baals and the Asherah, the Asherah pole and the Ashtoreth and the Molech. They would worship these different deities. Kind of, and, but they wouldn't stop, maybe necessarily the temple, but they would just kind of like start to worship these. But then this would grow and the, and the worship in the temple, the worship of Yahweh would decrease. And they would go into crap. Like the culture, the society, because they were not meant to worship that way. Their lives went to the dump, went to the dump heap. You know, and think about it. In our, in our lives, that's, we, can, we can associate, right? We're like, yes, I'm walking with God. This is awesome. And I stopped reading my Bible. I stopped going to worship. I stopped, I stopped praying. I stopped focusing my heart and my life and walking by the Spirit and starting to introduce other things. And all of a sudden, my life goes to... And then we cry out to God. Israel cried out to God. God, deliver us! We have blasphemed your name. They realized what they had done. And they're like, change our hearts, God. Change our minds. Turn us back to you, God. We know that feeling. Turn us back. So maybe that's what's happening in this man's life. This man started opening himself up to the demonic. And it silenced him. 
And God came in and he interceded. He cast out the demons. But he didn't just do that. You think about this. You know, Jesus cast out the demons. He's, t- he's saying basically here, cast out the demons and you sweep it up. You clean it all up. But if you don't fill it with something else, that demon is going to go back. Like, hey, it's nice now. Let's go back. You know, y'all come. It's clean up now. Come on. And say so like invite seven more. Can almost see, you know, see Jesus kind of looking over at Mary Magdalene saying, uh-huh, right? Because if you know, Mary Magdalene had seven demons inside of her. And they would come back and oppress and possess that person again. And it would be, what is that? It will be worse off than the first. But if you fill it with good, then the demons can't come back. Let me just say this. When you come to faith in Jesus and you are filled with his Holy Spirit, you can never be possessed by Satan ever again. You can never be possessed by a demon ever again. They can whisper lies in your ear. They can try to oppress you. They cannot read your mind. Satan and his his enemies don't know what you're thinking or feeling. They might be trying to coerce you and to, and to get you to think something or get you to feel something, but they don't know what you're speaking. Unless maybe you, you, you verbalize, oh, I'm so afraid right now. The demon's like, hey, hey, we succeeded. But if you say, I rebuke that thought in Jesus' name, you get out, you demon. I will not fear. I am filled with the Holy Spirit and with hope and with joy. So you depressing thoughts that say that I'm alone and I'm isolated and that I will never, you know, that God doesn't want to do anything through my life, you get out in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I am holy. In the name of Jesus, I am loved. In the name of Jesus, whatever suffering comes, I can handle because God is with me. That is the power of the voice. To speak truth over your situation where you may be thinking and feeling lies. Whatever you're feeling and thinking isn't necessarily true. Any thoughts of shame and condemnation are not God. God never shames and condemns. Romans, 9, Romans 8, 1. For there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He gives you inspiration and encouragement and says, yes, hey, what you're doing right now? Cut it out. Go this way. Change your thinking. Metanoia, the word, you know, repent. Change. Come this way. Why? Because this way is better. This way is the way to life. This is the way to hope. This is the way to flourishing. It is better. But Jesus doesn't just simply say this about an individual. The, con- the, the context behind this, Jesus isn't trying to say, hey, this person, if you don't fill it with good, is going to you know, get a, a new demon inside this one person. What he's saying is this is Israel. This is the nation of Israel. He's saying, you, you know, like we talked about, they would, you know, start to infiltrate, you know, bring in pagan deities and start to worship them, and they would, you know, their life would just go to, fall apart, and then they would cry out again. Every time they did this, if you if you look at the Old Testament, you'll see that every time that they repented, they oftentimes like took down the, you know, they tore down the high places, they they kicked out the priests, they they even sometimes killed the priests um, out of out of punishment. But they never re-invited the presence of God 
back into their fellowship. They reinstituted the temple, but they never understood why. They they never reinstituted the love for Yahweh, the devotion and the desire and the affection for Yahweh again. And so that's what he's saying. He's like, yeah, you guys cleaned it out. Cool. Seven more just came in and destroyed it. So much so we saw the exile. They, they, you know, so much so that God said, all right, you're done being a nation. And you know, came in and brought the Persians in, or brought the Babylonians in, exiled them, killed them, murdered them. Thousands, you know, the majority of, the, of Israel dead. The rest of them enslaved or brought back and exiled. And a few they left behind. They didn't fill their nation with God's presence. But this is the hope of Christ. That is the hope of the cross. Is that he came not only to clean out the junk, but to fill it with his spirit, but to fill it with his goodness, but to fill it with his tov, to fill it with his shalom, to fill it with his love, to fill it with his desire for joy and peace, to fill it with everything that is God, that is of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He came to clean it out and to fill it to overflowing, to fill you to the brim and overflowing with good, with himself. That is the glory. That is the glory of the cross. That is the glory of the empty tomb. That is the glory of your salvation. When you say, I am pledging allegiance to God, I am placing my faith in him, and him alone. You're saying, forgive me and fill me. Forgive me and fill me. Thank you for your forgiveness on the cross 2,000 years ago that covered all of my sin and cleansed me from all unrighteousness and filled me with your righteousness. He replaced the power and presence evil with the presence and power and presence of God. So that the so that the last condition that you are now in is far better than the first. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to be a better deliverer, a better savior for Israel and for us. For not just Israel, but the whole world. And that continues till today. And this world, this city, our, our lives, first we need to recognize that and, and to fully wrap our minds around it. Wrap our spirits around that and give into it. It's good. It is beautiful. It is powerful. Stop walking around and, oh, I'm just a sinner. No, you are a saint. We may screw up sometimes and do stupid things, but God's like, get up and get better. Come on, let's get, let's go, let's do it. Yeah, you did that, whatever. It's already been forgiven. Come on, stick a move. Hey, let's talk about how not to do that again. But hey, let's go. Here's the hope over here. Here's the joy over here. Keep going. I've used the illustration before, but I love the illustration. 
of like, uh, you know, this Olympic, you know, hurdler, you know, he's running along and, you know, jumps over the hurdle and oh, knocks it over. He doesn't stop and go, oh, no, ah. No, he keeps going. He runs faster. He runs harder. That is our spiritual life. We may knock over some hurdles, but God's saying, keep going. Keep going. Let that be an inspiration to run harder. Go for it. And what is that hurt? What is that running? What is that pressing forward? Loving others. Loving God. Enjoying Him. Walking by His Spirit. Being generous to others. Being encouraging to one another. Showing up for one another. Caring, truly caring, calling, texting. Being the one another for one another. Because who's inside of you? So who are you giving when you one another one another? Him. You're giving and you're receiving Him. Every time you get together in relationship with each other, you're giving and receiving the Holy Spirit. The presence of God among us. Do you believe that God has, does these things and wants to do these things through you? We need to engage with God. Kingdom authority resides in you to advance the kingdom of God and to strengthen the kingdom of God. This is the hope. That no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what we do or what is done to us, no matter what, where we suffer, no matter, no matter where the frustrations are, is that there's still hope. And we can bring that hope to the world and to God's people. No matter where our frustrations are, no matter where our worries are, that we can bring God's presence to the table because God has taken away the presence and power of, of evil and replaced it with good. Jesus, we pray that you would show us the good. Show us the way that you desire for us to live. Show us and lead us to walk in your good way. To walk in your shalom. To walk by and keep in step with your Holy Spirit. Encourage us, God, through one another. Encourage us through the presence of your Spirit within us. We love you, Father. We love you, God. Empower us and teach us to love one another and to love you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our spirit, and with all of our strength. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.